Thank you, Steve. I cannot think of a more beautiful picture that you could have painted around the table than for us today. I've been glad to find out that I am PB and that Jeremy is now J. It gives me a whole new perspective on what we get to do together every Sunday. We get to mix up peanut butter and jelly. I like it. The only question is, is it crunchy or smooth? What do you think? How many like crunchy? Say crunchy. How many like smooth? Say smooth. How many think you're spiritual right now? Okay. <laughs> good, good. Well, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 27. Very direct command from the practical man, James, the brother of Jesus. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, you know, this morning we are focusing on orphans. And just to give that command is a challenge. I can't think of anything more taxing, more time-consuming, more financially draining, more emotionally draining than to say, I'm going to bring a child into my home, whether through uh, adopting an orphan or through orphan care, uh, through um, just uh, having a child temporarily in your home. So as all the commandments of God are, they're challenging unless you understand something. Here's your first fill in the blank. Living for Jesus is difficult if we only know what we ought to do. You see, most Sundays we live here, leave here with a list of things to do, a list of commands, and that's good. But that is not near enough. Often we know what we should do, but what you need is something behind that. So here's our next line here. The game changer is knowing the why behind the what. Okay, it's not enough just to know what to do. You know why you're doing it. For instance, maybe you're one of our teenagers and you're working at Chick-fil-A. Is Chick-fil-A not the best service in town? Amen? And you're part of that, man, and you're moving and you're working hard and, you know, the lines are long, but y'all knock it out and you're getting tired. I mean, it's just such a pace to keep. And on top of that, you've got to be nice to all these people you don't even like. You know what I'm saying? And you're, you're finally sort of wearing out on the Chick-fil-A experience. And then you get your why. You hear that Don Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, is coming to visit you at East Chase. And you know that he's known to give out bonuses to people who work hard. Well, you got your why, it might change what you're doing, right? And guys, when it comes to the commands of God, it's the same as true. Maybe you're a greeter in this church and been greeting for years, and sometimes you sit down and wonder, does it do any good? I mean, do, do people really respond to that? Sometimes it makes you a little uncomfortable, and then you hear that story from last Sunday's 101 of someone who showed up here the first Sunday they came and went to 101. And it may just have been because of the warmth that you greeted them. And now you go back there today and you greet with even greater warmth. Now I believe that's the way it is with adoption and foster care. The what is challenging. And any family here that's done either one of those can tell you about that. What you need is a why. So I'm going to give you three whys today. The theological why, the practical why, and the personal why. Let's start with theology. You say, what is theology? Theology is simply the study of God. Pretty simple. It's understanding God, which helps you understand who you are. Listen to the Father's heart about 
orphans. Psalm 68, verse 5. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And look how he says it in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. My friends, God loves everybody. But if God has a special love for any groups, we find out three of them here. He loves the orphan, he loves the widow, he loves the immigrant. God has a special heart for people who find themselves outcast in culture and who need help. And for us, that's what he wants us to have is that same heart. Now let's go a little bit deeper in theology. If you have your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 3 with me. The book of Galatians is this wonderful book explaining the grace of God, of why we don't any longer live under a law system, but now we live under a grace and faith system. And right before the verses we're going to look at, he's saying the purpose of the law, many of your translations would say, is a tutor to lead you to Jesus. Now the word tutor is probably a little bit too strong there. I think a more appropriate analogy would be the law was a babysitter to lead you to Jesus. In other words, the word there means this is someone you put in charge of your child to take them from point A to point B. And that's what the law did. The law let us know that we could not keep it perfectly. The law let us know that we were sinners who needed to get point B, which is we needed a Savior named Jesus. And so as he keeps explaining this, look with me in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He said, no longer are you right with God by your ability to keep the law perfectly. It's now by faith. And the marker expression of faith is baptism. It's the place where you say, I cannot save myself. I will put my trust, my faith, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, when that happens, look at the incredible difference it makes. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. What are you saying, Paul? When you give your life to Jesus, it radically changes all of your relationships. Can you imagine if you're a slave, listen to this letter being read in church, and you hear there's no difference between slave or free. You imagine if you're a woman in pr- oppressed in first century culture, and you hear that there's no longer male nor female. We are all one in Christ. It radically changes our relationship. And then he ties it back to Abraham in verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's he saying here? My friends, God made a promise to bless his people way before the law was ever given. It was given to Abraham. This promise of blessing is now being fulfilled in Christ. We are Abraham's heirs. And then he makes it even more practical. What I'm saying, chapter 4, verse 1, is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were underage, 
we were in slavery under the elementary spiritual forces of this world. What's he saying here? It's something you and I really need to hear this morning. Jesus did not simply come to get you a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not simply about being saved. It's also about being adopted. Two key words that Paul uses in his writing. Justification and adoption. Justification is about you being made just in the sight of God. Adoption is about you coming into the family of God. Now, we've made a big mistake is all we ever talk about almost is, I just want to be saved. I just want to go to heaven. I just, and that's good. But God says, I've got so much more than, for, for you than that. I don't want you just to be justified. I want you to be adopted. Now, picture this. This word justification is a courtroom word. What it describes is coming before the judge, God, and God declaring you just. My favorite definition of justification is just as if it never happened. Because of the blood of Jesus, when you come in the courtroom before God, he brings the gavel and he says, you are not guilty. Even though we know we were. That's justification. And that happens in one courtroom. So you walk out of that courtroom. And you've got an appointment now in another courtroom. And you come to this courtroom, and to your surprise, the same judge is presiding over this courtroom. And in this courtroom, he proclaims you adopted. But what's even crazier than that is the judge, God, adopts you. Not only are you saved and free and justified, you are now adopted. You are so close to God that now you can call him Abba Father. Did you hear that in those next few verses? Verse 4, but when the time was set and God had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. Not only you're in a safe relationship with God, you are so close to God, you can call him daddy. Then he sums it all up. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So understand, not only are you saved, you're part of a family. And here's the cool thing about first century adoption that remains in our laws to this day. There's no legal process to undo adoption. So once you're adopted, you're adopted. Now, if that child wants to rebel and forget you and move to California, they've got that choice. But they will at no point ever be unadopted. So what's the the theological why? The theological why is that as we are in Christ, clothed with Christ, we begin to look like Christ, we begin to act like Christ, and we begin to do what God does. God forgives, we forgive. God loves, we love. God adopts, we adopt. Now the second point is the practical why. And I want to go back to Josh Roberts' definition from last week of love, because I thought this was incredible. Love is the accurate estimation and adequate supply of another's needs. What's that say? If I really love you, I'm going to find out what you need. Not necessarily what you want. I'm going to find out what you need. 
and I am going to supply it. And this is where we're also challenged because the need of children across our world is unbelievable. It would be a whole lot easier for us to come in here in our nice middle-class lives and, and not see what's going on around us. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you some statistics that will show you the need. But if you're like me, statistics sometimes don't touch me because statistics are cold. And I don't see a person behind the statistic. So this morning, I want to challenge you as I give these statistics. I want you to think of one of your children, one of your grandchildren, some child that you adore. And I want you to put them in these statistics, okay? And let me, let me show you how I'm going to do it. This is a picture of my grandchildren. All numbered out. All seven. Now what I'm going to do is as I go through these statistics, I'm going to think if it were one of these guys. So who do you have in mind? Aren't they adorable? Here's the statistics. In the world today, there are 13 million orphans living in orphanages or on the streets. That's when they've lost both parents. Some people count 140 million orphans if you've lost one parent. 13 million in orphanages, and if you've been overseas and been in some of those orphanages, that's not a great deal. Or on the streets. I can't imagine those guys. Living on the streets. In the United States, there are 400,000 children living without permanent families in the foster care system. 400,000. No permanent families. And then look at this statistic. It'll make it more real. 55% of these children have had three or more placements before adoption is complete, averaging changing schools five times. Now, today we're saluting the people who take care of these children through foster care. It's amazing ministry. But when I imagine one of my little grandkids being moved from home to home to home, from school to school to school to school, it breaks my heart because you know the insecurity that that would cause. And listen to this one. 20,000 of these children will age out of the foster care system. In other words, 20,000 of them will never have a permanent home. They'll just one day grow old enough to walk away. So watching, seeing that picture changes those statistics to me. How about you? Let's go to one more why, and that's the personal why. And so I want to interview a couple that's so involved in this, Patrick and Katie Beth McCarthy. And so we're going we're to talk about this this morning. And if you know Patrick and Katie Beth, they're one of many, many couples in this church who have just been amazing examples to us by adopting and by, by going in foster care. And I, I can look across this audience today, and uh, I see lots of you. 
In fact, let me, it's something I meant to mention earlier under the theology. Because of the theology of adoption in the Bible, Christians are twice as, twice as much, twice as likely to adopt than people that don't know Christ. And I think it's because of what we're saying. So, so glad you guys are here. So I want to go with what we're talking about this morning. Katie Beth, give us your why. These guys adopted three kids, you can see, and they also now have a little baby girl with them in foster care. So what's your why? Um, well, I was raised um, in a wonderful home that loved Jesus, and um, we talked about Jesus and God and um, raised in the church, and um, I was always protected, provided for, um, but I was also um, really encouraged from a young age, both my parents in telling me, but also living the example of serving others and giving to others and it being my responsibility to, um, to help those um, who are not necessarily as blessed as we are. And so um, I, one of my spiritual gifts, or maybe my only, I'm not sure, but um, is that I love... <laughs> Um, but I love, um, I love very greatly. And, um, and to me, um, I don't see, I, I don't, I, I feel that we're all equal. I don't see, um, adopted kids as being second class or the second choice. And, um, and so for me, um, it's just a matter of, of living out that love and the calling that God, um, put on my heart to love others. And so, um, that's just the, the way that it was for me. That's my why. I'm sure you, if anybody I've ever known had the spiritual gift of love, <laughs> it's you. It just, it just comes out. So Patrick, I think your why is a little bit different. What is your why? Uh, my why is, is I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I, I didn't find Christ until I was like 16. And I, I rode her coattails for who knows how long. And my why came a little bit later after the boys got home and I'd always pray, God, just give me what I need. And you got to be careful when you pray for that. And it's a little harder because my boys are sitting in here to tell them how much they've changed my life. But my why is the joy I get from how God put them in my life at a specific time to teach me things. Because I was selfish. I was arrogant. I was... Um, ruthless. I had no patience. And Miller shows up and it's all of a sudden calmness and meek and humble. And such an amazing thing God did to show me who he was through Miller. And then Andre comes home and I learned the patience and love, unconditional love God has, because if you guys know Andre, Andre could have the roughest day ever, and the very next day, he's going to love you exactly like he loved you the day before, and he could have the greatest day ever, and he's still going to show up and be like, what's up, man? I love you, and then Keenan came along and taught us that the scripture is the most important thing. He is the scripture police. And he, <laughs> and he teaches us to, that that's not holy. And I'm like, God, did you send Keenan here to tell me that's not holy? Um, and so God knew he, he could bless me beyond all measure, but only through adopting three children from completely different parts of the world. 
and and then Cameron comes along and you can only imagine what a girl does and you know she's that baby she doesn't have a heart for her face at all she does really have a face we just can't put it on Facebook so if you want to see her she's there we just can't make it public well let me follow up with you Pastor some more because I find with most couples their win came at different times when did y'all know each of you that this was something God wanted you to do because I believe to, to make this kind of sacrifice, it's got to be a God thing. Absolutely. Katie knew when she was seven. <laughs> Katie knew she would Did she adopt. Tell you that when you were dating? Yeah, we were dating at six or seven. No, we didn't meet until college. <laughs> but her grandparents and parents had been praying for her spouse before when she, when she was born. So they were praying for me when, you know, for 25 years, 30 years before I ever met her. And so. It, 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 it's just, um, I didn't realize that I could handle adoption. I could manage finances, afford an adoption. I'm like, oh, how are we going to pay for this? This is totally impossible. I didn't say this in first service, but the Christian comedian said his, his children were asking him, Hey, Dad, don't you love that car? That's your favorite car, right? And he said, yeah, that's my favorite car. Could you get one of those cars? And he's like, yeah, I can get one of those cars. I could have three of those cars if I wanted. Really, Dad? You could have three of those cars right there? Aren't they really expensive? Yeah. Well, why don't you? Because of you and you and you. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was one of the best things. And I realized that we could do this. And it was a, a step, a leap of faith. And with her family and her prayers and the peace that came over us to bring a child in and love them the way we love them just changed everything for me. Well, let's keep it real because I know there will be some family in this audience that decides to do this. What's the greatest challenge? Um, I, I think adoption and, and foster care is the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, and I think that's because of Satan. I think Satan likes to destroy things before they begin, destroy things that are good in the middle and at the end and, and all those things. And so um, the moments when I came the closest to not wanting to adopt or foster was when I was giving into those fears of, um, you know, what if what if the child has things wrong with them? What if they're ugly, which is really a vain and shallow fear. <laughs> But it's true. I really did worry that. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) But anyway, um, and so I think for me, um, the the first challenge was to overcome that fear and to really listen to the truth of Scripture and um, and to remember the promises of God and the faith that I have in Him. Um, You know, there are so many other challenges. um, I think that that are kind of um, just a part of the process with paperwork and finances and um, just all the challenges that come with um, having to, to, you know, justify yourself or um, I was saying in first service we've had over 20 our fingerprints have been taken over 20 times we've had to pay a lot of money each time um, and we still haven't committed a felony um, that we know of (laughs) that we know but um, anyway and um, but 
but there there are so many challenges I think that you don't know until you get into it and I don't want that to deter anyone from um, from um, being foster parents or adopting um, but that's really just to me those um, hurdles some of them I understand but then some of them I think are just there to frustrate the process or or whatnot but um, I think those would probably be the main challenges that I can uh, think of you said to me the other day I thought it was pretty pretty practical was mm-hmm. You thought by this point in your life you'd be getting some sleep? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> okay, let's walk through because we want to get to the good part. Patrick, what are the greatest joys? You know, watching my children follow God, like it helped me relive my childhood. And to see what God does to children who are in a home that ha- has faith and believes in the Father and believes in adoption. And I'm blessed beyond all measure. People often say, you saved those kids. You, you saved them. I mean, they could have been on the streets. They could have done this or that. And I tell people all the time, my children saved me. Because Miller came in my life when I needed something to change. Andre came into my life when I needed something to change. And then Keenan came into my life, and I know God better because of Keenan. I know his word, because Keenan knows it better than we do. And so he's, he, it's, you know, and then with the foster care, you can only imagine with a little girl what that does and how that. So the greatest, the greatest joy is to watch them believe in God, follow God, and, and to be like God every day. One, one more question, and, and this is going to help us today because we're going to give people opportunities like never before, honestly, to come alongside families that are doing what you're doing. How have people come alongside you guys, Katie Beth, and helped you be able to pull this off in a beautiful way? Um, I think that, obviously, I think we've all heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think when you're talking about an adopted child or an orphan child, that village needs to be a little bit bigger just because the resources are so much um, more taxing and there's so many, um, there's so much more emotional baggage and there's so much more financial issues um, that you have to deal with when you're adopting or fostering. And um, for us specifically, and I think each story is unique, um, we would not have been able to, to foster or adopt without without our church family. Obviously with Agape, um, has, we didn't get to say that in the first service. Agape has been a, a, an amazing support to us and, um, and any support that others give Agape comes directly to us because Agape is so good. Um, but then also just our church family and um, our, our best friends that are here at church with us um, who have really, I feel like our, our baby girl, um, I feel like that she has maybe five or six different families that, that care for her and love her. And um, yes, and just, 
um, we couldn't have made it without the Swindles and the Moors and um, and the Praters and and um, the Coulters, our life group, just everybody that has poured into us. Um, you know, not just financially. I mean, they obviously have helped financially, but then to um, to be there to take care of her, to be there to encourage us, to um, to to love her. I think babies. You know, the more children you have, or the more people that children have that love them, the better. And um, and she's absolutely just overflowing with love from all the families here. Um, that, we couldn't name all those families. Yeah. There's so many people we didn't name that called us or prayed for us or showed up with a casserole or just yeah. anything, a Zaxby's gift card. It just, it just was amazing. We didn't expect. I love that part of your story. Could you guys give these guys a hand for sharing so much So let's get down to the practical point today of what we can do, either by adoption or either by adopting a family that is adopting or doing foster care. And we're going to talk about your time and we're going to talk about your money. And the first part is something new we're sharing this morning, and that's levels of care. There's a group that Agape has partnered with called Live the Promise, and they have given four different levels of care for us to participate in. And I'd like you to pay close attention to these because one of these most of us could do. Number one is a family helper. That's a person that might just supply a meal to this family once a month, might just keep your eyes open to needs like clothes and be there provided. Number two is a child mentor. This person, when someone needs to go to an appointment, may provide the, the transportation. May come over a couple times a month and babysit the kids. Number three, the person who coordinates this, the team leader. And this person would make a, a weekly phone call to the mother just to find out what's going on, what needs to be prayed about, and what we need to work on for them. And then the number four level is actually an interim caregiver. And this is the person that feels comfortable either in their home or the, the family's home providing overnight care to give them a break. And so, uh, like all of us, if you don't feel called to adoption or foster care, I feel like all of us could be called to come alongside and make it so much easier for these families who take this brave step. Because listen to me, the divorce rate among people who adopt is skyrocketed compared to the normal population because of the stress. And we have the chance to come alongside so many families get in the middle, especially foster care, and it's overtaxing, and they give up, and we can make it better. So, let me give you the ultimate why before we ask you for your money. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love that passage, because what that says to us is that our lives can be so remade, so different, so distinctive, so like Jesus, that someone might see us and go, wow, there's no way you could be that way. No way Patrick and Katie Beth could pull that off on their own. And might say, you know what? It's got to be God. And we're going to give praise to God. You see how cool that we could do something in our lives that brings glory to God. You know, we all want to do that because... We all want that affirmation from our parents, don't we? 
And the greatest affirmation we could receive is the affirmation that Jesus quite consistently received from his father that he was proud of him. Now, I thought about this a lot last week. We preached that sermon on including and hospitality and making people feel like they're part of something and being warm about that. And a brother here came up to me afterwards and said, wow, your, your daughter Lindsay's got that gift. I mean, and I've watched her and Ben since they've moved back to town. They are always having people in their home, people they don't even know in their neighborhood, just, and they know how to make it feel so comfortable. And I said, thank you. And then he said something to me that made me feel good. I don't know that I deserved it was, I think she gets that gift from you. I, I might be quicker to say she got it from her mom, but I think she gets it from you, of being able to make people feel comfortable. And that was, that was amazing. And I can only imagine what God feels like when he sees us, his children, doing things that he would do. And I know what he would do when he saw that. He'd do the same thing I did with Lindsay last Sunday afternoon. I just called her and said, baby, everything I preached about this morning, you live. And you and Ben are doing an amazing job. And my friends, when we begin to be this distinctively different, we bring honor and glory to our Father. So here's the cool thing. We get a chance to be a part of this. And now we get to be a chance financially. Let me show you our goal. There's an interest meeting on those other things that you, could, you might want to go to that you can see up there on the slide. But let me tell you, our goal today is to take $15,000 over our weekly budget. Every bit of that will go to Agape. Honestly, for our church, that's not a very large goal. I, I, I implore us to, to blow right past that. If you're online with us today, you're about to see the four ways that you can give. And those of you here, you might go ahead and take out your phone and just start praying and contemplate. We'll give you a few minutes. We'll give you a moment of reflection just to think about how financially you could be a part of this. This is what I do know. Our God is so good. And let me just commend you for a minute. Through this whole pandemic, your giving has been so consistent. Now, we've cut a lot of things, and we've been able to cut back on expenses to make this all work. But in one area, we've had more expenses than ever, which is our tech area. We, we, we were not used and had not the equipment to do online and to do it right. And so we asked Jeremy Bagwell, come up with a figure of what we need to get to the next step. And he came to us one week and said, what it's going to take to buy all this equipment and do it right permanently, it's going to take $13,000. Let me tell you what happened. Two days later, we received a check in the mail from one of you for guess how much? $13,000. God provides, amen? And right now, I don't think I've got to jump up and down. If you're not motivated by the why of who God is, the why of just the practical need and the why of hearing this story, I, I'm not going to be able to motivate you, but I, I have no doubt you're going to be motivated. So right now, I ask you just to take your phone out. If you write a check, make the check out to Landmark. You can drop in the basket on the way out. But while you're thinking about this, I want to show you a video, and then we'll close out with a song celebrating our God. Please watch this.